Well, it is Washington week, and if Oregon wins on Saturday, it'll be the biggest win of Dan Lanning's career. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I am your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day in your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics to treat over 50 infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Calm. Lots to get to today on this hump day show. I love that old Geico commercial. Hump day! Happy hump day, everybody. Uh, a mailbag question real quick just to start things off. This is from Marty McFly. Mailbag question. How stoked are you? I literally was trying to just forget that it was only Tuesday, yesterday on the golf course, wanting it to be Saturday. That's how stoked I am. I think Dan Lanning is stoked for this game as well, and he should be. And the stakes here could not be higher, and they couldn't be much higher for Dan Lanning as well. Not in the sense of like, his job is on the line if they lose. No, 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 none of that nonsense. But Oregon right now is in a position where they control their own destiny to get into the college football playoff as they did a season ago in the midst of that eight-game winning streak. Oregon is also in a position right now under Dan Landing in his second year where, get this, he's 15-3 and three as a head coach. Did you know that? He is 15-3 and three as Oregon's head coach. But what's he missing? Pac-12 title game appearance? And a win over at least one, if not both, of Oregon's rivals. Where he, well, here's the opportunity to do that. And when Oregon fans talk about last season and how it went, 10-3, and three, by all accounts, a successful first year, two late stumbles against the two biggest rivals that Oregon has, yeah, that tends to leave a sour taste in Duck fans' mouth, mouths. It did. It still does. And all of that gets forgiven if Dan Lanning wins this football game. Because turns out, even if Oregon had beaten Washington, even if they hadn't gone for it at their own 30-yard line on fourth and one, if they'd punted it back, gone to overtime, won the football game, or yada, 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 whatever, guess what? The Oregon State game still happened. So Oregon wasn't going to the playoff anyway. Might have gone to the Pac-12 championship game. But this is the biggest matchup in the history of of Oregon and Washington, as I talked about on yesterday's show. It's the first time they've both been ranked inside the top 10. They're both unbeaten. The winner has a very clear and defined path to the Pac-12 title game and the college football playoff. The winner controls its own destiny to get to both and won't rely on anybody else. Now, technically, the loser does as well. The path is just a lot tougher because you have that loss in there and you have the head-to-head loss. I mean, you could look up at the end of the season. You might have two 8-1 and Pac-12 teams going to the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas, where I plan to be. And I hope that's where Oregon ends up being. Winning this game would go a long way to helping that cause. It would not define it one way or the other. But if you win this game, you don't necessarily have to go unbeaten the rest of the way. You do to get to the playoff, not necessarily get to the Pac-12 championship game. But with everything that happened last year and everything that is on the line right now, there has not been a bigger game for Dan Lanning to win. 
Doesn't mean he hasn't had great wins. He has. Utah last year, the Holiday Bowl a season ago. Washington State escaping out of Pullman with a win last season to you know continue the winning streak and start conference play 1-0. There have been a lot of good games. The UCLA game is probably the biggest game that Oregon has won to date because at that point in time, we were still trying to define ourselves as Pac-12 and college football playoff contenders for the season. And they didn't just win that game against the Bruins. kind of won the game comfortably. And UCLA was in the top 10, and they were playing really well. And Oregon has not beaten a top 10 team since. They haven't played a top 10 team since. I think Utah might have been been number 10, or Oregon was 10, and Utah was 12. I don't remember one way or, or the other. But regardless, this is because of the stakes, because of the opponent, and because of the place in the season that we are at right now. This would be the biggest win in Dan Lanning's tenure as a coach. And it was kind of crazy to think about. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some got caught in my throat right there. Gonna one moment. <clears throat> okay. I'm out of water for the second segment sip, but that's all right. There has not been an opportunity like this for Dan Lanning to stake his claim. Like on the road, college game day is there. Josh Pate is there. Bo Nix is a Heisman contender. Michael Penix is a Heisman contender. You have every storyline you could possibly want for this to be a massive college football game. And, And I liken it to what Red River was a week ago, which was a fantastically awesome football game and easily the biggest win of Brent Venable's career. And Venables had a much worse first season than Dan Lanning did. By a long shot, he had a much worse season in 2022. But right now, he won that game against Texas. And guess what? 49-0 the year prior, eh, that kind of got has been forgotten. Maybe not entirely by Texas fans, but in the moment right now and in the context of this season, yeah, those sorts of things tend to get put on the back burner of fans' subconscious because you won this game. If Oregon wins this game, they're in the top five, controlling their pass to a college football playoff spot, in the driver's seat to go to the Pac-12 title game, with still tough games on the schedule to be sure, but having already gotten through uh, you know, Washington at this point would put Oregon in a really good spot. Because you can lose one game and still get to the playoffs, still get to the Pac-12 championship game. So between Washington State, Utah, USC, Oregon State, you could lose one of those games, still accomplish all the goals that Oregon has this season. But this one would be the biggest statement game yet. And yeah, last year's game, Lanning said, well, we don't need to you know, focus on that or bring it up and such because we know that it's a rivalry and guys are going to be motivated and such. But for the fans, I mean, D- Dan Lanning, I think, already has won over the Oregon fan base, as he should. Like I said, 15-3, and three, and we're asking for a little bit more. In some instances, that's a pretty high bar. He's off to a really good start. Recruiting's going well. Results have been good. But this can be the best individual result. If you go into Washington, beat your rival, send the Husky fans home unhappy, avenge last year's loss, and put yourself squarely in the college football playoff and national title conversation. Biggest game that Dan Lanning could win. A loss is not as punitive for landing in his reputation and standing as a coach as a win would benefit. That's how I feel about it right now. And gosh almighty, like Marty McFly asked, I am stoked. 
completely and utterly stoked for this football game. We've been waiting for a long time. I'm also nervous for it. Like, make no mistake about it. I am nervous thinking about this football game. I'm recording the show on Tuesday. Uh, I know this will surprise a lot of you, but I played golf earlier today. And on the golf course, I was literally trying to just block all the potential scenarios and ways this game could go out of my head to just focus on my round. Just enjoy it. Game's not coming for a while. But boy, do I want Saturday to get here. I know, however, in the back of my mind, once Saturday arrives and the game kicks off in Seattle, I'm going to be a nervous train wreck. And Washington will get the ball first maybe and complete a first down on the second play from scrimmage. And I'm going to go, defense is terrible. It's awful. It's terrible. It's just, oh, man, this is going to be a really, really fun football game. Always fun to be on game day. Curious to see who everybody picks. Uh, Washington, a three-point favorite right now. Should it be that way? Or is Oregon being undervalued here? We'll talk about that after we talk about Jace Medical, of course, because they've got the Jace case. Five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace case is fill out a simple online form and, in some cases, jump on a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians. Get ongoing ongoing care from their physicians on any treatment-related questions. Doctor-created doctor recommended. You don't want to be caught unprepared in today's world. So get the Jace case, which can handle everything from online evaluation, Jace Medical can that is, to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. Get $20 off on these life-saving antibiotics today on Jace Medical by using my code locked on at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Get $20 off with my code locked on at checkout. What a weird day. What a weird, what a weird day. You know, schedule this, yada, yada, yada. I didn't have enough water in the cup and I used it earlier because we had a little scratchiness of the throat. Anyway, let's hop into the mailbag. YouTube comments, always available. Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. If you want a chance to regularly communicate with me in a one-on-one way, priority mailbag and getting every thought and my reaction to uh, the news of the day on the Oregon side of things, go join the Locked On Ducks subtext community link in the description below wherever you're listening to or watching this show. This question from Cade. Am I just a crazy homer for not being that, which he puts puts an asterisk on either side, you know, kind of like a quote like that impressed with Washington. Their deal at Tulsa, Boise State, and Arizona move on them comfortably. I don't know about Boise State. And their offensive line gave up a lot of pressure in each game. Their run game is pretty weak too. All in all, it feels like their weaknesses line up with our strengths and their strengths, deep pass, feels well matched with our secondary. I feel like if we show up and play hard, Dan Lanning ball, we should take care of business. Thanks. Well, if Oregon plays to their potential, yeah, of course they can win this football game. If Washington plays to their potential, they, of course, can win the football game. I mentioned Red River earlier in the show, and I want to go back to that. Because Oklahoma in that game played to their potential. Texas in that game did not play all the way to their potential, but still played pretty well. Did not play perfectly, but still played pretty well. If, you, if those teams played, like these teams right now, and they might play again in the Big 12 championship game, if they played 10 times, how do you think that split goes? Maybe six to four Texas. I, I don't know how many times Texas gets stuffed on first and goal at the one 
I don't know how many times if they play 10 times, Quinn Ewers throws two interceptions. I, I mean, the second one, like that can happen. The, the, the first one, however, was an abysmal throw. And, and, and not the sorts of plays that he made when they went, you know, at Alabama uh, earlier this season, which, you know, is still a pretty good football team, it turns out. So I bring that up to say this game has so many similarities, rivalry, conference title and college football playoff implications. Losers not out of it, just disadvantaged uh, and has a, a higher threshold to cross in order to a- attain those goals this season. And there are just so many different ways that game can play out. Like Texas played well enough to win the football game. They lost. Oklahoma played well enough to fo- win the football game. They won. That, that That's what it could come down to. One drive, one play, one moment, one kick. Like, like Let's just say, for instance, you know, Oregon ends up winning the game 30-28. to 28. Camden Lewis hits a game-winning 33-yard field goal as time expires, which would be awesome, of course. Can you look back and say Oregon's way better than Washington? No, they just happen to win. Heck, look at the game last year. Would you look at it and say, oh, Washington's so much better than Oregon, they won? No, they just happen to win a really close game that if you played out 10 times, is going to be split 5-5 five, five, or 6-4 to four maybe in, in, in one particular direction. So when I look at this game, I think it's important to recognize we should not be overlooking the Huskies. This is the best passing attack in college football. This is the best receiving core in college football with a quarterback who is currently the betting favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. That can change. If Oregon wins this game, and Bo Nix will, of course, catapult up that list. I think he's number five or so right now behind Penix and Caleb Williams. And there are a couple other players in there. But I think when you look at what Washington does really well, yeah, through five games, Oregon has showed themselves improved from a season ago and capable of matching up with them, perhaps. Have they faced a team of Washington's caliber yet? No. No, they have not. Colorado is a five and two football team right now or a four and two. I think they're four and two. I, I hold on. I can look really, really easily. Uh, Colorado's a four and two football team. They will be five and two after they beat Stanford on, on Friday night in Boulder. That's probably, you know, them along with Texas tech who, you know, are following a trajectory that I kind of figured they would, which is fighting, get above 500, which they probably will. They're three and three right now. Like that's an okay team. That Oregon also kind of struggled with, right? Oregon could have lost that football game. Have they played better since then? Yes, they absolutely have. They played much better against Colorado, but that was at home, and this is on the road. And the home field advantage is essentially what Vegas is telling you with the line being minus three in favor of the Huskies. That's basically what home field is worth. Like if this were being played at Autzen Stadium, it would probably be like Oregon minus, minus two, minus three in that sort of range. So I think when you look and it'd be about a pick them on a neutral field, which is about right. And is to say that if you feel good, like Vegas very rarely is egregiously wrong and they never lie. If you feel really good about the Ducks right now, you should also understand that Washington is very good. Those receivers are really good. And this is the biggest test by a long shot for the defense, especially the secondary. And I like what I've seen from Kyrie Jackson and Jalil Florence and Steve Stevens is playing the best football of his career. And Evan Williams, since getting into the flow of things, has been really good. This is a different test. You don't just have a great quarterback on the other side. You have three NFL receivers 
who are going to get drafted next year and be taken, you know, within the first three, three or four rounds and probably all be either a number one, two or three receiver on whatever NFL roster they find themselves on, right? Like they have three guys of Troy Franklin's caliber. I, I think Franklin is only behind a Dunze. I did Pac-12 wide receiver rankings the other day on Locked On Pac-12 and I had Roma Dunze one and Troy Franklin two. But Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, those are a couple of dudes. Those are a couple of really, really good football players. And Jeremy Bernard is their fourth. Like the, the, Their wide receiving core is outstanding. Their quarterback is outstanding. Their offensive line has played well. The question for them is on defense. The question for them is on defense. Their pass defense has been pretty good this year. And when you look at the numbers, I think they can be a tad misleading. The caveat there. I, 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 a number of times a season ago said, ah, Oregon's given up a lot of garbage time points. Like it's not really all that bad. And then Washington came in and threw for over 400 yards at Autzen stadium, which I don't even know the last time we saw that probably 2016 when Brady Hook was a defense coordinator and it was just an absolute abject disaster. So I think when you look at what this Washington team brings to the table, they have all the pieces to be exceptionally good this season. So too does Oregon. I think Oregon's a more balanced team, yes. I think Washington's offense at their best is better than Oregon's. Oregon's ground game is better, but Washington's passing game is ridiculously good. It is ridiculously good. They can hit you at all three levels with any of those guys, and they've got a really good play caller and offensive coordinator in Ryan Grubb. He is really sharp, will be a head coach probably by 2024, if not 2025, but he'll probably be a head coach somewhere in, in 2024. So th- this is a really good Washington team. They've got all the tools. Defensively, they haven't been great against the run this year. But like you bring up in your question, Cade, you know, they let Tulsa, Boise State, and Arizona move on them. They, they, they didn't really get pushed by Arizona as much as the score indicated. I know it ended up being a one-score game, Washington is a is a fumble inside the five yard line away from going up 21 points with about four and a half minutes to go. Right. They fumble Arizona. They then stop them. Then Arizona gets a stop. Arizona goes down and scores with like, you know, a minute 20 to go. Washington recovers an onside kick and the game is over. It never felt like Arizona, you know, was ever out of the game, but it never felt like they were really giving Washington a, a true scare. And I look at what their starters did against Cal before they got pulled. They were really, really good. They had a pick six and I think only allowed 12 points in the game. Like I, I, I'm not getting too caught up in the numbers. I don't think Washington's defense is as good as Oregon's. I also don't think it is bad as some might want to believe on the Oregon side of things. They've got a couple of really good edge players in ZTF and Braylon Trice. I think Jabbar Muhammad in the secondary has been a really nice pickup for them. And then there's another guy's name like Olafoshio. Oh, anyway, something like that. They've got some good players over there. Oregon is capable of running the football on them. That, 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 that's going to be, I'm going to get into that a bit more tomorrow and kind of, you know, the, the, the keys for the Ducks um, and in, really individuals to watch. I might do keys more on, uh, on Friday's show when I bring on Roman Tomashoff of Locked on Huskies here. But I think when you look at what, what Washington has done this year, they've been really impressive. And they are really impressive. And they look like the same team from last year for the most part. And that was a team that beat Oregon at Austin Stadium and went 11-2. and So I think you'd be foolish to go into this game and take the Huskies lightly. Oregon is certainly capable of winning. They are also 
more than capable of losing this football game because Washington is good and it's being played uh, on the road. But if the defense plays well, I think Oregon is capable of scoring points. We saw that last year, right? Even though I think Washington's defense is solid, saw it last year with, with the same sorts of guys Oregon was able to move the football, should have the opportunity to do it again. Oh, lots more to get to on the show. I went a, a tad long there. But you know what? A, a better too long than too short, right? Like, if you were to go long on uh, Bo Nix passing yards this week because you think he's going, you know, way overboard and you're really confident, then Prize Picks is the way to go. Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy app. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. All right. Take a breath, collect my thoughts, crack my neck. All right, let's do it. Uh, Nathan, uh, this is another mailbag question. Which players in which position groups do you see as our X factors for the second half of the season? Going to start with this Washington game. Defensive line, secondary. Most important pieces when defending the pass. Got to pressure Michael Penix more than last year. Got to be able to stay glued to wide receivers and keep up with them speed-wise. Weren't able to last year. Hopefully, they're up to the task this week. They are certainly more qualified to do so than what we saw from the Oregon secondary a season ago. But I would lean towards the defensive line. Those are the two units I'm watching for, not just this week, but going forward, right? Cam Ward is really good. Comes to Autzen Stadium next week. Got to be able to pressure him and keep him contained in the pocket. We know what he is capable of. Play Caleb Williams in USC later this year. Got to be able to pressure him. Against Oregon State, you know, it's a little bit different. Utah, though. Again, those are different uh, philosophies uh, offensively for what they do. But when you're going up against these great passing teams, you've got to be able to make the quarterback uncomfortable. Because as we saw last year, if you get Penix time, he's going to sit there and pick you apart. He's going to sit there and pick you apart, and you cannot let him do that with those great receivers. So starting this week, defensive lineman, X-factor number one, secondary number two, as in the most important part of Oregon's success. If you tell me right now Oregon's got no sacks, we lose. If you tell me right now Oregon's pressure rate is low, or if Kyrie Jackson goes out with an injury, or you allow two pass plays of over 40 yards, those are probably you know touchdowns in that hypothetical, we lose the game. Absolutely. Uh, this one from Nathan as well. All right, Spencer, hope you're having a good weekend. By the time we hit the end of the regular season, who are we looking at as our all Pac-12 players and how will the position groups be ranked? Uh, come back to me on the position group rankings part of it. But right now, the, these are guys, by the way, who are going to need to play well on Saturday against the Huskies and why I wanted to work this question into today's show. So through our five games at this point in the season, if the season were to you know, suddenly wrap up before the Washington game, I would look and say these are probably players from Oregon's team that would get all Pac-12 first-team selections. Troy Franklin, Brandon Dorless, Bucky Irving, Jackson Powers Johnson. Probably would be able to make the first team, or at least in my view, have played at that level. Second-teamers, Jordan James, 
a Johnny Cornelius, Camden Lewis, don't sleep on the kickers now, Kyrie Jackson. See where I'm going with this? In the biggest games, you need your best players to play well. Now, Bo Nix is certainly capable, perhaps, of being second team, all Pac-12. Most likely, it'd be third. So third team caliber guys that you know I, I've seen at this point in the year, and this doesn't mean they aren't playing well. Of course, it means they, they are playing well. It's just that there are a lot of good players in the league. Bo Nix, Jordan Birch, Ross James, the punter, he's been awesome. He might even be better than third team, frankly. Evan Williams, Taki Taimani. Revenge game for Taki Taimani. Uh, there was a whole piece written about him. I, I I was puzzled by that, to say the least. Like He was a defensive lineman who wanted to get away from the Jimmy Lake debacle, which any Washington fan will tell you was an abject disaster. He wanted to get away from that, comes down to Oregon, and I always got an entire piece being written about it of like, is he even going to show up on Saturday? Well, I don't know. We'll see. Take notes, Taki. Honorable mention right now, guys playing at that sort of level. I think Jalil Florence, Terrence Ferguson, Casey Rogers. So those would be kind of my inclinations as to who could make an all-conference team if the season ended today. And if you t- if you look at that list of players, Oregon needs them to play well. Specifically, I, I think Kyrie Jackson – Brandon Dorless and um, and Jordan Birch, the, the those guys like McMillan and Polk are really good. So it doesn't come down to just one defensive back for the Ducks. But if you can take away Roma Dunze, he is better than the other two, not by a lot, honestly. McMillan and Polk are outstanding, especially Polk. Like they can both make all the catches. They have really good, strong hands. Remember McMillan last year kind of ripped that interception away from Gonzo after Oregon failed the onside kick. It looked like Gonzo had a pick and McMillan just ripped it away from him. Like they, they are that caliber of player, both of them. But Kyrie Jackson, you know, wherever he is on the field, I don't think Jackson's going to necessarily shadow Roma Dunze. So Jackson probably stays as as the boundary or field corner. If he plays the way that he's capable of and takes away half of the field, that's kind of the biggest part. So less about a one-on-one receiver matchup and more about, you know, being able to limit the window that Michael Penix can look at and say, okay, I can throw the football here or I can throw the football there. But all of these guys have, have had exceptional seasons this year and have to again on Saturday, right? Yeah, Bo Nix has got to be able to throw the football. You got to keep pace with Washington at some level. But Bucky Irving and that offensive line led by Jackson Powers Johnson, who was having a first-team all-conference caliber season, he he is going to have to be able, like last year, to get loose, run the football, and keep Washington's offense over on the sideline at uh, some level. So, uh, you know, in terms of how position groups will be ranked, I think we got to see more information, play, you know, big games like this one, like USC, Washington State, Utah, and Oregon State. Uh, before we can say, you know, what was the best position group for the Ducks uh, this year. But to, to, to this point, I look at those those guys and say they're playing their way into an all-conference caliber season, and, and they need to have all-conference caliber performances uh, this Saturday. So given that uh, this Husky game is immensely stressful for us as Duck fans, though certainly exciting as well because we want to win the football game, but we also really don't want to lose a football game. Let's end on a non-football note, shall we? Okay. A couple of mailbag questions here. Again, YouTube comments, Twitter, or subtext if you want priority. Uh, This from Simone, totally unrelated to football, but something that's been on our minds. 
What order do we introduce our children to Star Wars? Start with the originals, the first one to three episodes, a spin-off prequel, parenting is hard. I wouldn't know because I'm not a parent. It looks pretty hard. It sounds pretty hard. I don't know how you make these decisions. Simone, here's my best advice. As a Star Wars diehard fan, show the movies to your children in the order that they were released. Not chronologically, the order that they were released to start. Four, five, six, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, one, two, three, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith. Okay? Then, then I would start going chronologically. I would start going chronologically because things like the Clone Wars and Rebels and Rogue One and even Solo, which I think is pretty good, those are all fantastic. Like Rebels, Clone Wars, and Rogue One, top tier Star Wars content. So you show her the originals to understand why everyone, or or him, I don't know if it's a son or a daughter, but show your kid the originals so, so that your kid understands why everyone loved it in the first place. Show the prequels because they're better than people think. Then show the pretty high level content that kind of goes in between there. And then show the sequels as an example of what not to do in the Star Wars universe because they stink. Last one here, a follow-up from a previous fun mailbag question. I had to think about this for a little and just goes to show you how difficult Chopped is. This is from Beginner Catholic. Follow-up question, if you, were con- if you were competing on Chopped, made it to the final round and were presented with the basket you so cunningly crafted, that's for dessert, what would you make? So the basket that I put together to make it challenging was duck, celery, fruit snacks, and dried mangoes. Here's what I landed on. I had to think about this for a few minutes though and these, you know, chefs on the show have like 30 seconds to put all this together and it's really really hard. I would go with dried mango ice cream with a fruit snack and berry compote reduction sauce over the top of it. Then as kind of like a, a texture component, I would go fried celery cinnamon sticks. So take, you know, take celery, dip it in you know, a sweet batter that is heavily cinnamon laden to kind of give it that dessert component and then stick that in for texture on uh, on the ice cream. And then on the other side of it, I would go a cranberry and chocolate reduced duck mixed in uh, to, to a bread pudding. I think that the saltiness in there could actually work kind of nicely with the sweet ice cream, but also is still a dessert uh, in the bread pudding in there. So dried mango ice cream with fruit snack and berry compote reduction, fried celery cinnamon sticks, and a cranberry chocolate reduced duck bread pudding. That's where I would lean. Tough basket, I tell you. I came up with a tough basket there. Curious what you think of what I would make. No idea. By the way, I don't have the technical ability to put that together in 30 minutes. If you gave me an hour or so, I could probably pull it off. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.